When we sing that song about the blessing and the blessing one another, um, this morning, even in our first service, I was reminded of the fact that when we are singing that, uh, we are already the blessed ones. As you are standing there, you are highly favored and deeply loved by God. Um, we are coming together as the blessed ones. And uh, just to remind you of the story of Abraham and his brother Lot, um, they needed to make a decision, and he gave the decision to his brother. He says, do you want to go to the right or to the left? If you take that piece of land, I'll just take the other one. If you want this one, I'll take the other one. doesn't matter. Because Abraham understood that the blessing of God is not on the piece of land. Where he's going to go, whether it's to the, to the right or to the left. The blessing and the favor of God is on him. He understood that he is carrying the blessing. So it doesn't matter where you go. You're walking in as the blessed one of God. And the uh, reason I share this is a bit later, we're going to create opportunities where we're going to write down, um, if, if you're at a place where, where you are needing breakthrough, or maybe answers, maybe you've got a decision to make, um, and to remind you this morning that actually it doesn't matter what happens, you are blessed, and you are highly favored, and you are safe right there where you are, and we can relax into the favor of God that is already on us. God has showed us on the cross that He loves us and that He's already blessed us. There's no bigger blessing than Jesus over our lives. And so this morning, Jesus, we thank You that we are already blessed. We are coming together as the blessed ones of God. Thank You that Your blessing and Your favor is on us already. In Jesus' name, we thank You for that. Amen. You're so welcome to take your seat. Wonderful. As you take your seat, the teenagers, you're welcome to excuse yourself and meet Robin uh, there to the side of the hall. Uh, so grade 7 to 12, you can meet her. And then if you're a preteen, so grades 4, 5, and 6, um, you can meet uh, Tani Eleni. Uh, she's standing at that other door, and um, they're going to have their time of ministry together. Sarah. Yeah, so just from my side, I, I want to say, um, if you are visiting us for the first time, my name is Abel, and um, it's so great for us um, that you are visiting us, and we really trust that you're going to have a time where you're going to hear the voice of God and also just uh, experience something of the Spirit of God. Um, and also, just want to say, I'm really excited about next week. Next week is going to be our official um, housewarming. Uh, we said when we move into this venue, when everything's done, we're going to have a housewarming. So we've arranged the furniture, and I think we've done a good job. And then finally, our entrance is finished. So um, technically, uh, I'm not, I don't want to make you mad, but we could have used the entrance today. Uh, it's still not 100% finished. There's still some finishing needing to happen. But I told the team, no, let's just use the other passage for a very last time. Uh, for ne next Sunday, is going to be a housewarming. And uh, we've actually already put up a sign. Um, like toward the end of this week, and we asked them to wrap it because we're only going to open it in this week. Uh, so next week's going to be our housewarming as well as the last finishes uh, on our jungle gym. And so we're going to celebrate that. There's going to be cupcakes and a wonderful time of ministry. We've invited many people that were involved in this whole project. And we want to also thank you for everything uh, that you've done uh, just being involved in this project. So we're very excited. Next Sunday is a great opportunity to invite friends and to come and join us. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're really excited about that. Um, 
So today, if you've got your Bible, you can open it up to Revelation 12, and I know some of you get very excited because we're going to be preaching from the book of Revelation, and some of you are getting very nervous because we're preaching from the book of Revelation. So we're actually starting this uh, Sunday with a series called Breakthrough, and so for this next uh, month or two, we are going to be focusing on this idea of trusting God for a breakthrough. Now, what is a breakthrough? Um, a breakthrough is when you've done everything that you could do, and you've done everything that you needed to do. So you've taken responsibility, because remember, God works with partnerships. He doesn't allow you to just be lazy and do nothing and do everything for you. Uh, we are in a partnership with Him and, and, and building something, uh, uh, creating with Him. We are co-creators. But when you've done everything that you could do, and it's still not enough, you need a breakthrough from God. Sometimes we need God to intervene in our world. And yes, we believe that God intervenes. He proved it on the cross with Jesus intervening into humanity and becoming a man and dying on the cross for our sins. And we believe even after that, and as Christians, we carry this testimony in our hearts that God is still intervening today. And so many of us, we've got testimonies of how God has broken through in your life. And so maybe sometimes you're trusting God for something, and at some moment there's that, that release. A, a door just opens that you've been trusting God for, and that's a moment of breakthrough. Now, a breakthrough could be when you're trusting God for a job. So when you've done everything you could do, so you, you know, you're humble, you're willing to do any kind of job, um, and you know, you're humble before God, you Put out your CV everywhere. You do everything that you're supposed to do, but still you need God to provide, to open the door for you. And many of you have got testimonies of breakthrough when it comes to finding a certain job. Uh, it might be in your business. Maybe there's some sort of a blockage in your business and, and you just, you need God to break through for you, to, to provide. And uh, I've got a friend that, I mean, they, they've got this development that they're running, but they've done everything according to the book. They've done everything they should have done. And uh, there's even been people that, that were asking for bribes, etc. But they've done everything as Christians should do it. But they're not seeing any breakthrough yet. And so they're trusting God for a breakthrough. He needs to help because they are at the end of their limits. And so that's when, when you're at the end of yourself, what you could do. You need a breakthrough from God. So it might be in your business. It might be with an illness. Maybe you've gone to all the doctors. You've adjusted your lifestyle. You are eating healthy. And you're drinking all the medication that you're supposed to. But still, you're not healed. You're not healthy yet. And so you need God for a breakthrough. It might either come in the form of a supernatural healing, which is a breakthrough. But a breakthrough could also be to finally get to the right specialist that can give you the right uh, problem that you're suffering with and the right uh, medication. That could also be a breakthrough. And so maybe you're trusting God for, for healing, that kind of breakthrough. It might be in a relationship, a relationship that's under pressure. It might be a marriage. It might be um, even, I think, in our own family. Um, we've, I've got a sister-in-law, and uh, our family, we haven't had contact with her for six years. And we're trusting God for a breakthrough. Everyone in the family has done everything that we could do humanly possible. You know, forgiveness and, and humility, all of those things, reaching out. Yet we need God to come and change a heart. We can't change another person's heart. We need a breakthrough. And so maybe that's the kind of breakthrough that you are needing in your life right now, is in a relationship. 
It might be a spiritual or demonic stronghold that you need a breakthrough with. That you realize that the enemy is busy working in a particular area and you need to say stop and you need God to get the enemy off your back. It might be a spiritual breakthrough like that. Now what we've got in our hearts for this term is, uh, is that we would grow in our faith. That we would start asking God for specific things. Not only general prayers, but ask God for the thing that you really need. Now, if I speak about breakthroughs, uh, I had a conversation with my, my friend Skulk. Um, he plays for the Cheetahs Rugby, and he's actually going to be preaching two weeks from now, 29th of October. You don't want to miss that. He's going to be sharing a bit of his testimony on a breakthrough in terms of a healing, a miraculous healing physically with his neck. Um, but I remember, and, and he'll tell you his story also, so I don't want to give everything away. Um, but at one stage, um, there was this guy that said that, you know, he wants to pray for people that needs healing. And he, he got his brother uh, to come because he says, you know, brother, I've got faith that you can get healed. Do you believe that the power of God can heal you, my brother? He says, yes, the brother comes. He prays for him. But then the guy asks him, well, Skulk, you also need healing. Do you believe God can heal you? And then it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not sure. You see, it's easy to have faith for someone else. It's easy to say, yes, God can still do miracles. God can, is the God of the breakthrough. And to believe it in a general sense and to believe it for other people. But do you believe it for yourself? Do you believe that that desire that you have, that, that, that need that you have, do you believe not only that God can do it, but that God is willing to do it? I think that's a challenging question. If I can be honest with you, that is challenging. You know, to really believe that God cares enough about this issue that I can actually bring it to Him. Sometimes we shy to bring the thing we need to trust God with. We shy to even say it out loud. And so in this time, I'm going to encourage you and even challenge you a little bit. We, we've got, I mean, on the sides, we're going to do this a few of the Sundays. We've got some pieces of paper and pens on the sides. And we've got this red post box that is really heavy uh, that myself and Flippy uh, collected this week. And we're not going to move it anytime soon because it's quite heavy. It wants to stay there for a while. But what we're going to challenge you in some of our services, and you can do it even after the service or whenever, is to come and write down what you are trusting God for, for a breakthrough. And then you're going to put it inside of that red post box. It's just a way to tangibly say, God, I'm trusting you for this. God already knows your desires, but it's good to say it out loud. And you're going to put it in there. And then we're also going to open up, you know, because our, our entrance is going to be open. And so we've got this thing on Thursdays that we open up the coffee shop. And so you can come and work here. We've got free Wi-Fi, free coffee, or sort of free coffee. You can buy it also. Otherwise, if you don't have money, we give it to you for free. Um, but you can come and hang out here, work here. If you've got a coffee appointment, come and do it here at church. But we want to open up the coffee shop, not only at 10 o'clock. We want to open it up in the mornings at 6 or 6.30 until 10 o'clock on Thursday mornings. We're not going to start this week our team is in Pretoria for the Doxedo Conference. Uh, we're going to start next week. Uh, but we want to open it up as a prayer room. And so it's going to be our prayer room. And I want to encourage you, if you are trusting God for something, I know that you can pray at home. But to come to the coffee shop, and it's open early enough so you can come before work, or even if you're flexible hours, you can come only at 8 or after 8. But to come in the coffee shop and have a time of prayer, to press into it, just like someone would fast for something, to be deliberate about, God, I'm trusting you for this. I'm not going to let go. Like Jacob wrestled with God, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I'm not going to go until I get clarity on this or see breakthrough in some form on this. And so I want to encourage you 
uh, to do that. But then also on a Thursday morning, if you come and pray for your own thing, once you're done praying for your thing, you're welcome to come up here to the red post box. It's got a door at the back. And you can take someone else's card. And you can go pray for that also. You can just go put it back again afterwards. And so when you write something down, just note that someone else might also pray for that. And uh, so, you know, you'd use your own wisdom whether you want to write down your name, let other people pray with you, or whether you're just going to stay anonymous because between you and God, you know, and someone is going to pray for you anonymously. But can you imagine if not only you started trusting God for something and you see the miracle, but if your brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe someone that you haven't met, starts praying and trusting with you for that very thing. And when there is a testimony to celebrate, you don't celebrate alone. Then you know that you know that you know this was God. Because I was clear in my prayer. I was specific. And also other people can celebrate with you. It's like the entrance. It's about a year ago, myself and Flippy and Francois from the Nassau Center, and we stood in front of that entrance after they told us no twice, that there's never going to be an entrance there. And we said, well, let's pray for it. And we stood there, we prayed. A month later, we had all of the leaders stand there and pray. In this church service, oftentimes, we've turned our hands toward that entrance and we prayed. And God has given us a breakthrough. It's standing there. Next week, Sunday, you're going to walk over a testimony of the goodness of God. Now, I'm trusting that God can bring a breakthrough for you personally. And so, so here's the thing. My hope is that you would grow in your faith, but that it would be personal. It's not, yes, God can do miracles. He can... You can do something for me. So a breakthrough is, a, um, before we read uh, Revelation 12, breakthrough is not when um, you eat three donuts a day and you pick up weight and you want to pray to just lose weight. No, then you don't need a breakthrough, you need a diet, okay? A breakthrough is not when, you know, you bought three of those dresses or you bought a car that you're not, you can't really afford or buying things you don't really need and then there's no money in your account. Then you don't need a breakthrough, you need a budget, Okay? And so we take responsibility. We are active. We are partnering with God. But when we can't anymore, that's when we need to trust God for. So there are breakthroughs or miracles of healing. Um, there can be breakthrough in terms of promises that God has made to you that finally uh, comes into, um, into being. It could be a breakthrough in provision, God providing for you, or a breakthrough in terms of deliverance. And so we're going to speak about these topics over time. Today, I'm going to go for the least popular one. And so the least popular one is going to be the one on deliverance, because this is not a very popular topic in church. And so we want to speak about that. And in order to speak about that, I want to explain a little bit. Maybe you've never been in a church service where someone explained to you this idea that you have got an adversary. You've got a, you, there is a devil in this world that hates you, that wants to ruin your life. Maybe no one's ever taught to you about demons. And so I'm going to speak about demons and the devil from Revelation chapter 12. And I know all of you are sitting on the edge of your seat. Because some of you are like, let's go, finally. And the others, you're looking for the nearest exit. Okay. But what I want to give you today is not some stories or just some experiences. I want to show you from the Bible. If the Bible speaks about it, and if you believe the Bible is true, then what we're reading here is the truth and the reality. The aim for today is not that you'd walk out here with fear. The aim is that you would walk out here being sober-minded of the realities that you are living in. To have spiritual eyes to see the reality of things. So let's read together um, from 
Romans, oh, sorry, I'm saying Romans, because I'm used to preaching out of Romans, and we never preach out of Revelation, um, but today it's Revelation. So before we speak about that, when we speak about demons, or the demonic influence in our lives, um, and even the enemy or the devil, usually there are two mistakes that we make. So the first mistake that you can make is to overemphasize the demonic influence in your life. And so that's the, when, you know, when you blame the devil for not having any money in your account because you bought the wrong stuff. Or, you know, the, the demons didn't make you eat the whole thing. You know, that was you, okay? So sometimes we get those characters, we find a devil under every rock. Around every bush there's a demon. And uh, so that's the one mistake you can make. The other mistake you can make is to underemphasize the demonic influence in our lives. Now, if I were to consider our church, I heard the story. My, my friend at school, my roommate, his dad was a duomini in Van der Kloof, and uh, in their church, they did a whole series on demons and the devil, and it, in the middle of it, he stopped it. And he said the church is getting more excited about the demons than what they are about Jesus, and the focus should be on Jesus. And I thought, yes, that's brilliant. But if I can be honest with you, if I consider our church and our culture that we live in Bloemfontein, that's not the danger that we are living in. <laughs> we are not at a place where we overemphasize demonic influence, right? We may be making the mistake toward the other side, where we are not aware of the reality that there is an enemy that is trying to ruin your life. And so that's why we're speaking about this today. So Revelation 12, backstory, there are three main characters. The one is the woman. The woman represents the church of Jesus, so it's Christians, it's all of us. And then there is the child, or the male child that gets born, and uh, that is Jesus. It's God being born of a, a woman, um, and so that, that is Jesus, the character. And then the third uh, main character in this story is the dragon, and the dragon is the devil himself. So let's read together from verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them down to the earth. So if you read Isaiah 14, together with Revelation 12, that's where some of the theologians get this idea that a third of the angels in heaven were fallen angels that were swept down to earth with Lucifer, or with the devil, and they are the fallen angels, in other words, demons. And so the third might not be an exact number, but that's the idea. Um, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Now, you remember uh, the story of Herod. When Jesus was born, when the child was born, what happened? King Herod, because of his big ego, was threatened, and he tried to kill Jesus. And you can go read that story. Uh, Jesus and his parents had to flee to Egypt uh, to get out of the country because Herod was killing all of the babies because he was threatened. Now, you might l read that story and think, well, this is a crazy king with a big ego and just see that Herod was trying to kill Jesus. But if you understand that what was actually happening, happening it was the devil, the dragon himself, was trying to kill Jesus. He was just trying to do it through Herod. Now, that's the way that the enemy works. He doesn't come in a direct way. He comes in an indirect way. So he uses Herod to try and kill Jesus. In your life, it works the same way. The devil can use someone, and this might be a boss, it might be a colleague, it might be someone that is influenced 
because of their weaknesses that the devil is using to attack you in some way. And so it might be systems around you, but the devil can use other ways or indirect ways he's trying to attack you. So sometimes in this story, we are like Jesus, uh, being attacked by the devil, but it's in an indirect way. On the other hand, sometimes we can be Herod. You see, the devil will look for an opportunity in your life, a weakness. So for Herod, it was his ego. When he heard there's another king that was born, instead of celebrating the coming Messiah, he was threatened because he was king at that moment. And so his weakness was being used. And so sometimes the enemy will come and use your weakness to execute his own plans. It doesn't make you a worshiper of the devil. He's just um, using that as a way to influence this world. Verse 5, she gave birth to a male child, one um, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now, this idea just of Jesus, it skips to the part where Jesus ascended on high and he's sitting on the throne um, and he's the one that is ruling. And so Jesus was persecuted by the devil. He was tempted by the devil. Matthew chapter 4, he was tempted by the devil. And after Jesus died, the devil thought that he won, but then he raised from the dead and he ascended on high, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And so therefore, because the, the, the enemy has been thrown down to earth, Jesus himself and all those in heaven are off limits for the enemy. And so we'll get to that in a moment now again. Um, verse 7, it goes on. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Um, I had a conversation with Skulk, and he said, yes, Michael, Michael is the angel that gives out the hiding. Ideally, Paxlovite. He was like the main, the main um, uh, angel. Um, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. So speaking about the dragon and his angels. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan the deceiver of the world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And so here's the idea. If you want to know what a demon is, a demon is not your great-great-grandmother that is angry because, you know, those, that piece of inheritance that you got, the cups that you're supposed to drink tea with, that the fact that you threw it away and now your great-great-grandmother is angry at you and she's haunting you. So demons are not the spirit of the dead, okay? That's not what demons, the, the, the dead, they cannot communicate to you um, and interfere in this world. A demon is to the devil what angels are to God. And so demons are fallen angels serving also the enemy, and that's simply uh, what they are. Verse 10, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. That's the biggest breakthrough in the history of the world, is the breakthrough of God, that His kingdom, His kingship has been established in our life. That's the biggest breakthrough. That's the only breakthrough you really need in this life, is the fact that Jesus is now king. Um, for the accuser, and so this is one of the names of the enemy, and we're going to speak about how the enemy actually attacks us. It says, the accuser of our brothers has, has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And so he's called the accuser and also the deceiver. Verse 11, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their own lives even unto death. 
And so we know that the book of Revelation is written to a church that was persecuted. The Christians, they were literally dying for their faith. And so the book of Revelation is a letter written to them. It's still relevant for us today because we also face persecution um, at times. Um, but it was written to them, encouraging them, saying those Christians that have died, uh, actually referring to them, that lo they love Jesus even unto death. And then it goes on to verse 12. It says, therefore, rejoice, O heavens. So speaking about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father and all of those who are with Jesus now, those who have already passed on, they are in heaven, and says, Rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you. And so now it speaks, rejoice in heaven, because Satan has been thrown down. He's no longer, there's no longer a place for Satan in heaven. That part of the battle has been completed. But then it goes on. We are living in a time frame where he still has a presence in our reality. It says, But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. And so he's pursuing the church. The devil is pursuing you. He lost the battle with Jesus. But now you've got his attention. And you need to hear this this morning. You've got the attention of the enemy. He wants to pursue you. He hates you. And he wants to destroy your life. He wants to derail the plan that God has over your life. Just like the Father has a plan for your life, the devil also has a plan for your life. To destroy you. And so he's busy pursuing from his side. Now my point is not to make you afraid. But so that we wake up and that we are aware of our reality. And 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says the following, be sober-minded. And so here's the thing. We need to see it. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to devour you. Martin Luther said that uh, the devil is a mad dog on a leash. And so that's the thing, he's on a leash. He only has so much authority. But there is an area where we should not be playing with him. Now, I think the best way to explain this, since it's World Cup time and see some people wearing the Springbok jersey, it's like a rugby game and there's only five minutes to go at the end of the game. But one team is leading by 15 or 16 points. And so the losing side needs to score three times. Now, if you understand rugby, in five minutes they're not going to score three times. It's not going to happen. And so the clock is running out. The game is actually already won because time is running out. The points are on the board. The game is already won, but the final whistle hasn't blown. There will come a time when the devil will be obliterated, destroyed forever. That time is still coming. But now there's, there's four minutes left on the clock. And I don't know if you've watched rugby, the losing side. For me, it's fascinating. They've already lost... It's like England in 2019. They really lost the World Cup. Yet there's time on the clock and they keep on playing. They still try to score. They still try to tackle. They still try to hurt you. You see, you can be on the winning side, but still get an injury. And so that's the thing with the devil. The time is running out. He's already been defeated. He can't win the game in your life anymore. And so that's why I believe he, he can't come and steal your salvation necessarily. But I do believe he can derail you that you miss out on some of the promises God has for you, that you miss out on the calling over your life. 
on some level. But you miss out on some of the inheritance that God has for you. But he won't necessarily win the game. And so that's a good way to see it. Now, let me quickly speak about four ways in which the enemy will attack you. And so we read this from Scripture, and there might be more ways, but the enemy is very predict, uh, predictable, okay? And so we can stand against the enemy if we understand what he's trying to do uh, against us. So the four things that he will try to do to destroy you is, firstly, he will try to tempt you. He is the tempter. We read in Matthew chapter 4 where the devil is tempting Jesus, and we read in Genesis chapter 3 when the devil tempted um, Adam and Eve. And uh, in uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 26, um, Paul is encouraging Timothy, saying, help the people so that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. And so, so the enemy will try and tempt you in many ways. Now, the best way to deal with temptation is not always just a prayer. With these four ways in which the, the enemy will try and attack you, I want to say maybe only the last one is quite simply just prayer. But the other three might be a combination of prayer and the actions that you take, that we actively stand against the enemy. And uh, especially when it comes to sexual temptation, there's a part where Paul um, t speaks to Timothy and he says, stand against the attacks of the devil and flee from sexual temptation. So he's saying, you know, you, you can... With certain things, you can stand firm. But when it comes to sexual temptation, get out of the room. You're not going to win the fight. You're going to lose every time. So flee. Run away from it. And so the way that we deal with temptation, I believe the first way that we deal with temptation is to avoid it. You see, if there is no chocolate in the cupboard, the chocolate in the cupboard cannot tempt you. You get that? If you don't buy the chocolate, it's not in the house, and it's not going to tempt you on a Sunday afternoon. But if there's chocolate in the house, the chocolate will speak to you daily. It will minister to you. That's how the devil works. And so that's, that's maybe, you know, on chocolate. But I want to I just quickly speak to the men for a moment. And I, this is relevant to the ladies also, but especially to the men. I believe for men, all men, we've got a weakness. It's sexual temptation. And I want to say to you this morning, you are not special. You are not stronger than the, the rest of the men sitting around you. Just like ladies, they've got chocolate. For men, it's sex. And so if the temptation is not in the room, if it's not in my environment, it cannot tempt me. The way that I deal with sexual temptation is not to fight it. You will lose. You flee from it. You get it out of your life. You make sure there are boundaries. Billy Graham had a rule that he never drives in a car alone with a person from the opposite sex. Even if it's a short trip. And it's not because he thinks there's going to happen something right away, but there's always that emotional connection. You see, if you're at the wrong place, maybe your marriage is under pressure, and now someone else, you know, because you've got kids in the house and mother's working hard, everything, but now there's someone else at work taking an interest in you. Now, the, any man, the wrong place, at the wrong time in his life, will fold. I've got a friend, he says, enige man, verkeerde tijd, verkeerde plek, gaan fout soos a tuin stoel. You're going to fold like a garden chair. You don't stand a chance. And so you need to get out of that place. 
And the way the devil comes is he speaks to you. And so with temptation, it's that voice speaking to you. And what he usually does is he minimizes sin on the front side. On the front side, he minimizes sin. And on the back side, he maximizes it. And so he's like, you know, it's not that bad. It's actually quite innocent. Everyone's doing it. And then you fall for the sin. And then straight after that, the enemy is the first one to tell you, I can't believe you did that. I mean, you say you're a Christian? Are you going to go to church today? Are you serious? I wouldn't say you're a Christian. He minimizes sin on the front side, and he maximizes sin on the back side. You know, with those voices, it's like, you know, it's okay. No one will know about it. It's actually really innocent. You know, what harm can come from this? That's the way he speaks to us, because he's trying to trap us. He wants to trap you. I remember, just to quickly tell the story, but I remember that voice so clearly. When I was a student, um, I was uh, at the opportunity to go to a conference in Eastern Europe, in Serbia, and I was still studying agricultural economics and very excited about this opportunity. But here's the thing about Serbia. Serbia is not a kind of country like England, where you walk in the streets of London, you will see four South Africans. So if you walk around there, someone will recognize you maybe. In Serbia, no one knows who you are. They don't speak your language. And so I remember walking around the one evening, and uh, just temptations all over the place. And it's a, it's a godless city, the, the place where I was. And I went to this kiosk to buy a bottle of water. Now this kiosk sells water and cool drink, newspapers, cookies and chips, and pornography, right there on the street. And back then, it's, you know, before like internet was a big thing, it was like these pornography DVDs. And I'm a Christian. I was engaged to my wife. You know, that, that's not supposed to be a temptation for me, right? And I remember seeing that, and I was so shocked that, you know, they're openly selling pornography. And then I heard that voice. No one will know. Because literally, no one knows you in this city. Literally, no one will know about this. There's not one person, the person selling, no one standing around me will look funny at me because they don't know me. He wants to trap me. And I remember when I heard that voice, I realized I'm in trouble. I went out of that place, you know, as quickly as possible, went back to my room, because I know I needed to get off the streets immediately. And that's how the enemy speaks to you. Guys, I want to say, history is filled of loving husbands and great fathers that wrecked everything with a secretary. Just because of too much time with a secretary in your life, Someone, you know, wrong place, wrong time. So guys, be serious about it. Rather expect that you will fold and build boundaries in place for yourself. I heard about this one pastor. He's got a picture of another pastor uh, on his desk. And that pastor is infamous for actually cheating on his wife and losing his marriage. And someone asked him, so why do you have a picture of that guy? I mean, he's not a great example. And he says, no, it's a reminder. If it can happen to him, it can happen to me. Guys, I can't say this strong enough. You are not special. <laughs> Make sure you've got boundaries in place. And so that's how we flee. We resist temptation. We say no to temptation, but also we flee from temptation. Um, that's how we fight that. The second point, um, sorry, I took a bit more time on that one. The second point is he is the accuser. 
So he's trying to tempt you. He minimizes sin on the front side, but then he is the accuser. He says, how can you call yourself a Christian? And he always works with guilt and shame. That's how he works. If you are sparing, so maybe as I've just spoken about sexual temptation, maybe you are a story of someone that has failed in those areas. You know what the devil will try to do with you now? It's like, yeah, I praat van jou. Jy het so droog gemaakt. That was you. And he's trying to make you feel guilty. Trying to you to forget about the fact that God can forgive and give grace and put those things in your past. He's going to try and make you feel guilty. Maximizing the effect of sin on the backside. And so here's the thing. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. So conviction is from the Holy Spirit. How do you recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit? The voice of the Holy Spirit doesn't make it soft, okay? He tells you, you messed up. He tells you the truth. But the Holy Spirit, conviction, will always draw you to the Father. Conviction leads to repentance. The devil, however, hates repentance. He doesn't want you to repent. He wants you to stay away from Christian fellowship and feel too guilty to speak to God. That's what he wants. That's condemnation. If you hear the voices of guilt, that's the devil speaking because it's condemnation. Condemnation turns you away from the heart of the Father. Conviction leads you in repentance to the Father. And so that's how we, we recognize the truth. And the way we fight this accuser when he accuses us of guilt is the better we know the truth the easier we will hear the lies. If you understand the gospel of Jesus, then he can no longer accuse you. It's like the devil has got a gun in his hand, but it's not loaded. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross and in the resurrection. I remember after I got saved, I, I, I felt so guilty still about my salvation, wondering whether I'm good enough for God. Until someone explained to Michael Eaton, he had a sermon on the righteousness of God. Until I understood what the righteousness of Christ means for me and that I am in Christ. And that when God looks at me, he looks at me with the same, uh, the same way as he looks at Jesus. That I no longer have sin. I'm no longer guilty of sin because I'm in Christ Jesus. And when that truth hit me, that was a spiritual breakthrough for me. When I understood who I am in Christ Jesus, he didn't have any ammunition in his gun anymore. But he will stry, still try and threaten you. So if you are a Christian, he will make you feel guilty. He will put the gun in your face. But it's not loaded because of the work that Jesus has done. And so it's by truth that we fight the accuser. The third way that um, the devil comes to us is in deception or lies. Um, John 8 verse 44 says, He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, it says, The Spirit clearly states that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And so here's the thing. The devil will not come to your front door and knock and, and wait for you to open. And when you open, say, hello, I am Satan, and I'm going to tell you some lies now. So the first lie is that uh, you are not enough, and that sin that you committed is still not forgiven. Uh, you know, another lie is that you need a new car, and the clothes you're wearing is too old. Uh, another lie is uh, that you should not trust that friend or brother of yours and spread disunity. 
So he won't come to you and announce, I'm lying to you now. That's not his tactic. He sells it to us as truth, as the norm. And I believe the way that the devil does that in our time is through our culture. It's the cultural voices. It's the, uh, the, the, the spirit of the age that we are living in. And so it's things like consumerism or relativism that he's speaking through, uh, to us. And so relativism has found its way into the church, where some people take a bit of Christianity and a bit of Buddhism and a bit of New Age, and you combine all of those things, and you start saying things like, well, how can we say that Jesus is the only way? You know, that is the devil lying to us, trying to deceive us by speaking to us through our age. Uh, at this moment, the devil is very successful at confusing people when it comes to sexuality and gender. He's in a very sneaky way, not in an obvious way, but trying to bring confusion. And he's, the other thing the devil really does well is bring disunity. That is why churches are often infamous for disunity. That's the devil's work. He can work in that way. So, trying to think that you're in competition with another church, that's not from the Spirit of God. That's from the enemy. He doesn't want the churches to work together. So how do I get breakthrough from the lies of the enemy? It's the truth. It's in fellowship. When you are in fellowship with the Holy Spirit and in your Bible and fellowship with other believers, you will hear the truth often enough to recognize the lie. That's how people that work with banknotes, they know a counterfeit note immediately because they work with thousands of authentic notes every day. As soon as they feel a counterfeit note, they know something's wrong. Now, the same way, if you surround yourself with the truth of God and you hear this, the, the Spirit of God speaking to you through the Word and in prayer and you are amongst fellow believers and like all of you sitting in church, you are hearing the truth often enough, you will recognize the lie. You will recognize the counterfeit gods of our age. The last one is that also he oppresses. Uh, the enemy can oppress us. And so one... Uh, Thessalonians 2 verse 18, Paul says, Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Sometimes Satan can put roadblocks in your way. The way that we fight that is by seeing him out. Saying, I'm, this is not going to change. This is, not, this is a temptation for me to get angry and frustrated and distrust God. But I'm not. You keep on holding to God, but also you pray in the name of Jesus for breakthrough. Because we have authority. Now, just to quickly say this, I believe there's a difference between demonic possession and demonic influence or oppression in our lives. So possession is like a virus that needs a host, and it could be, for a demon, it could be a human or a pig or whatever. I believe that if you are in Christ Jesus, there's a seal on you, and you cannot be possessed. Uh, I've got some friends that actually disagree on, with me on that. I don't think that's my expertise field or whatever, but I don't think that you can be possessed as a Christian. But that doesn't mean that you cannot be oppressed. The enemy can attack you. I had an experience like that in this week. When I was lying in bed, couldn't sleep, I drank allergics, still didn't work. Many of us do that, right? But lying there, couldn't sleep, and I had these thoughts of worry the whole time. And I was thinking about some of my, my brothers in ministry, and I was angry at them for no reason. But I, but I had these negative thoughts about them, distrusting them. And so, so if you were to think about the concepts of love, peace, 
and joy. I had the exact opposite of those things. Now, I know all of us, you know, we struggle with that, but it felt different for me. It literally felt like I can't switch down. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm angry in a way that I'm usually not. That day, Karin told me, like, I, I was so depressed, like zero joy. And it was weird. I'm not, I'm not speaking about, you know, if, if you're suffering with that, um, you know, that's a different journey. But this was out of the ordinary for me. I remember getting up, Albert once said, if you lie awake at night, probably God wants to speak to you. I thought, yes, I'm going to spend time with God. And yo, one of my favorite times I've ever spent with God. Thursday night, sitting an hour and a half, reading Bible, praying, listening to worship music. At the end of that session, I realized I'm not angry at any of my brothers. I started praying for them, and I was filled with love and peace and joy. I wasn't overwhelmed. Now, I'm not saying that certain struggles is just a quick fix. But sometimes the enemy is putting thoughts in your mind. The way that you fight them is you replace them with Jesus, with fellowship with the Holy Spirit and fellowship with God himself. And we also say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke these attacks. So let me speak to you about authority. And Albert, you guys can come. We've got authority to rebuke the devil. It's as simple as that. Now, it might be foreign language to you. Maybe you grew up in a church environment where, you know, this kind of sermon never gets preached. But here's the thing, how authority works. And, and Jesus says it in many places. Luke 10, verse 11, uh, verse 19, he says, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, the way authority works, it's like, I don't know if, you see, uh, if you've been pulled to the side of the road by a police uh, officer recently, right? You're just driving you know, to the beach, um, all the way to Artenbos, and just making your way nicely at 140 k's an hour. And then all of a sudden, the police officer stands in your way. And he says, stop, I want to have a chat, right? Now, I've seen police officers. I've, se I've seen this one police officer. She, she was a lady, and she probably weighed 60 kilograms, like a small lady. Yet... When she puts up her hand, because of the uniform that she wears, even if it's a truck, it's a lot heavier than her, the truck stops. Why? Because it's not about her weight. When she stands in front of my car and says, stop, she's got not her own weight, the 60 kilograms, she's got the weight of our entire law system behind her, saying, stop. And that's the same thing with you and me. When we stand against the devil, and we say, in the name of Jesus, that's the uniform that we're wearing. We've got the authority of heaven on our side. And the enemy has to listen to that. Let's all stand together. Now, just in summary... Don't assume that every problem that you have is a demonic influence. It's not. Sometimes there's just responsibility that you need to take. But don't think that there's any problem that could not have a demonic influence in your life. We have to be sober-minded about this. Now, this morning, I want to create opportunity for us to pray for breakthrough. And so maybe you experience there is somewhere in your life a, a stronghold that you feel there's breakthrough needed in that area. Uh, it might be just, or maybe there's some oppression that you are experiencing personally. I want to invite you, just as a, you know, as a, 
a way of making it tangible, to come and write it down on one of those pieces of paper, put it in the red box, and saying, God, I rebuke this in the name of Jesus, and I give it to you. Give me a breakthrough in this area. Maybe that's not the kind of breakthrough that the Spirit is laying on your heart today. Maybe it's physical illness. Come and write it down, put it in the box. Maybe it's provisioning. You're worried about your finances or your future. You need God to provide. Come and write it down. Maybe it's in a relationship that you need breakthrough. I want to encourage you. We're going to just worship. And as we worship, while we're doing it, you can come to the front, get a piece of paper, write something down, put it in the red box. And if you need prayer, maybe you just need prayer for something, you're welcome to come to the front. I'd be glad to pray for you. Let's worship together. You're welcome to make your way to the cards now already.